Welcome to the Lost Boys of Found Fathers podcast. I'm Gabe O'Sullivan, and joining me is my co-host, Will Haycox. We are men who have suffered the loss of a child, and through this production, we desire to offer encouragement, strength, and hope to our fellow brothers who have traveled the same journey. Welcome, Will. Morning, Gabe. So today, we are going to continue the discussion. This is going to be part two of the discussion of Is My Child in Heaven? And if you want to make sure that you're caught up, go back and listen, obviously, to part one. And today we're going to continue with that topic. Yeah, um, like we always do here when we go a few weeks between uh, recording, I want to provide a quick recap for you. Uh, I guess if it's good enough for daytime television, it should be good enough for us to provide a little recap too, right? Uh, so yeah, like you said, we this series is the, the tough topic of is my child in heaven? And we just kind of talked about how that's a, a natural question to ask. Anytime anyone dies is, you know, where do they go? And, you know, the, the whole question of like, I guess from the world's perspective, is there an afterlife or do you just end and that's the end of it and things go black and are you reincarnated and all these questions. So it's a, it's a natural human question to wonder about what you don't know. And the position of this podcast is obviously Christian and we believe that we have certainty in life after death. And specifically, we have certainty that our young children and people who are severely mentally disabled do go to heaven when they die. And so we explained our reasoning for that. And briefly, we talked about uh, the issue of original sin versus personal guilt. And uh, don't, I know that probably sounds crazy to you if you're just starting to listen to this episode and you haven't listened to one before. First of all, like we've said, what's wrong with you? listen to episodes in, in order that makes sense uh, but second of all if you're curious about what those mean more in depth then go back and listen to the last episode we probably spent 25 to 45 minutes I don't remember how long we recorded on that but uh, shortly original sin is a corruption of man's nature that God created us good and perfect and when we chose to rebel against him we introduced sin into our lives and introduced sin into our natures and so we are Choosing, we are wired now to choose sin, to choose the easy over the good and the right to, to honor God. And personal guilt is intentionally choosing something that is wrong, something that is outside of God's will, because, like I said, it's easy or it feels good, uh, or just because we're being rebellious. So we went over several verses, Romans 2, 6 through 11, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, Colossians 3, 23 through 25. And from those verses, we tried to show that what we understand from the Bible is that God doesn't punish us because we have a sin nature and we're tempted to sin, but we are guilty in the eyes of God because we choose to sin intentionally and that we don't resist that temptation but we choose to do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And we finished up that episode with the story of King David's son that he had with Bathsheba, his first son, who died as a punishment for uh, David choosing to take Bathsheba as his wife after he killed her husband and, and even to sleep with her before when she was still a married woman. And David prayed and fasted and mourned while his child was sick, but then when his child died, he cleaned himself up and he praised the Lord and essentially that we decided that we learned from that that when we're suffering it's the right response to seek God 
to focus our hearts on him and it's right and reasonable to ask for healing but once the thing that we're asking for is no longer humanly possible and, and whether that is that the child has died you know a divorce is final and there's no restitution that can be made um, you know whatever the situation is you've already lost a job then our proper response is to return to God and to praise Him for the opportunities and the blessings that we do have, praise Him for the time that we were able to spend with that child if we lost a child, and just to come back to Him in a posture of thankfulness and um, really just praise Him for His grace. And so going forward now, that's the recap of the last episode. This is episode 42, and... Like Gabe said, this is is My Child in Heaven Part 2. So we're going to focus today, we're going to start focusing today on the balance between the grace and mercy of God and His justice, righteousness, and holiness. And essentially, I guess the, the, the easy way to put that without trying to make it too complicated is that if you look at the Old Testament, a lot of people only see God as just and wrathful and he punishes the guilty and then you look at the new testament a lot of people see well god is love and god is you know jesus came and he loved the little kids and things were great and that's a very black and white way to see the bible and it's an inaccurate way to see the bible and we've talked about it before in this podcast but god has this wonderful balance that we can't understand in our human minds of justice holiness wrath against sin and mercy and love and a willingness to reach out and to allow us to be redeemed and there's really nothing that can demonstrate that more in my mind than juxtaposing God seeing us as his enemies because we choose sin we rebel against his word and his commandments but even while we were his enemies, he chose to send his only son who was perfect, who was innocent, and who was a part of God down to earth to live as a human for 33 years, to go through all the temptations and the struggles and the pains that we go through as humans, and then to be tortured and sacrificed on a cross for us. So you can see just in the person of Jesus that God was wrathful, like he had the right to just come down and wipe humanity off the face of the earth. But he chose to extend grace and mercy to us by sending Jesus to surrender his life so that we could be saved, even though we were enemies of the Lord. So this means, you know, even though God God is just and wrathful, he won't allow the guilty to go unpunished. So if our children are considered guilty of sin by God due to original sin, which is like we talked about, the, the curse of humanity, even if it's hard for us to understand that, if that were the case, God would be justified in sending our children or people who are mentally disabled to hell, even though we see them as innocent. And I think Gabe and I, you know, had this side question. Maybe we'll bring up in another podcast of like, what is innocence? That you know, is it? We we would say it's not correct to say that your child is innocent because of this sin nature. You know, if you know my child is. Uh, coming up on 20 months old, and she's really sweet. She's beautiful. She's she's nice. But like, you try to take something from her when she's in a bad mood, and she doesn't want you to take it. Like she's gonna 
scream and fall on the ground and have a tantrum and like try to smack at you and like try to grab the thing back like you can see a little bit of rebellion and you can see the anger that we would say if a full-grown adult exhibited that behavior it would be rebellion and and wrath and anger and selfishness and so the example of the Israelites refusing to go up into the promised land when God told them to go into the promised land in Numbers 13 and 14 is a explanation there of how God sees the young and the quote innocent in our eyes differently than, than we see the adults. So just a quick explanation of that passage. In Numbers 14, 26 through 33, God had mercy on the young Israelites even though the their parents were judged for their sin. And it's not too long of a passage, so I'll just read it to you. Verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census from twenty years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one of you shall come up into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness." So that's a, it's a tough passage to read. It's a, there's a lot of like what you would say is the, the justice of God there that like your dead bodies are going to lie in the wilderness. But like I said, the context there is God told Israel to go into the promised land and take it, and the ones who were if you saw there 20 years old and upward, the ones who were considered adults, the ones who were considered able to go into battle and fight, are the ones that are are held responsible for their actions. And God says, if you rebel against me, you choose not to do what I'm telling you to do, then you're not going to the promised land because you have not been faithful to me. But you see in verse 31, but your little ones who said you would, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. So we can see from this passage that God's justice and mercy can coexist because at the same time that he's bringing justice and and exercising his wrath on people who've rebelled against him, he could justifiably say, well, these, these young children, you know, if you're, if you're 18, you're 19, you're not 20 yet. So by this standard, probably old enough to say like, no, I don't want to go in the promised land either. But God has mercy and compassion to say, you know, even though I'm punishing those who have rebelled against me, I'm going to preserve a remnant. Is something you'll see a lot in the Old Testament. I'm going to preserve this group of people who are not as responsible, who maybe didn't have the decision-making power in this instance. And even if they wanted to go into the promised land and obey God, they didn't have the ability to do that. So by the way that God doesn't punish the young for the decisions of the old, responsible adults here, it's easy to see an example of where God's justice and mercy coexist. So from that, it's reasonable to believe that God's justice is satisfied against original sin when he judges those who do know right from wrong and choose to disobey him, but can have mercy 
and compassion on those, like we said, who are young children who die without ever being able to make a conscious choice to rebel against God's commands for themselves. And I I think the cool thing about that, too, a lot of neat things about that passage is that it also is showing, really displaying God's love and mercy in a big way. I think even more so than displaying his his wrath and justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it does both, just like you said, and that they coexist because it's not like God is one thing one day and one thing another day. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember, like, God didn't owe Israel anything. Mm -hmm. He didn't owe the... The, I guess right here you would not even call them Israelites yet because they hadn't been to the promised land, right? He didn't know the Hebrew children, the children of Abraham, a thing. Like he could have just been like, I'm done with y'all. I'm wiping you off the face of the earth. You're all going to die in the wilderness or we're going to let some, you know, raiding clan take you over. But he didn't. Like he mm-hmm. chose to continue to extend his love to this people that he had set apart from himself because he had promised Abraham, like, you will have, you know, this these generations after you that are more numerous than the stars in the sky. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a blessing to see. God could have chosen to punish not only the people that rejected him and his, his, his giving them the promised land. He could have chosen to also punish their children. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. You know, he, he gave them that free pass, so to speak, you know, and, and showed them that mercy because of what you just said. So I think that's just a neat thing to point out that sometimes people look at the Bible and they, you know, they want to just be mad at God. Well, mm-hmm. how could God do this and that? And how could he, you know, why would he, you know, punish people for X, Y, and Z? And why won't he be merciful like, like we're God and we should be able to judge him? You know, that's mm-hmm. where some people's posture lies. And but then we read stuff like this, and it's like, no, man, God is, like, he, yes, he's just, and yes, he is, he's going to have, he's going to exact his wrath on sin, but he's also crazy merciful and, mm-hmm. and loving, and this is a passage that displays that. Yeah, I mean, just while you're talking, I just thought of, like, maybe this is a tangent, but, like, the idea that God is all punishment and wrath and you know I'm going to kill you if you don't bow down right before me like that's not at all biblical like yes it is true that God is wrathful and he's holy and there will be a day when he judges the whole world and those who are faithful to him and who are believers who are obedient to him will go to heaven and those who are not will be punished eternally in hell but you know, just some examples in the Bible that just come to mind immediately. It's like we just already talked about David. So, like, David was a later in his life, David says to God that he wants to build a temple to honor God. And he's like, No, like, you're a man of war. So, like, he didn't say, like, It's wrong that you're a man of war. Like, he was raised up as king to protect his people and free them from the Philistines. But God wanted a man who. I don't know how to say it. Maybe I'm I'm reading too much into what God's uh, thought process was here, but like a man whose pattern of life was not one of war and taking lives in order to be set apart and more pure to build him a temple. And so God had grace to say like the fact that it was in your heart like is counted to you, mm-hmm. but you know I want your son to do it. And then you see Solomon does. And I guess through a certain portion of his life, 
was incredibly wise and made good decisions. But then Solomon goes astray and has whatever it is. Was it 300 wives and 700 concubines or something? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the just the whole process of that, that Solomon turned from God and worshipped other gods. God could have wiped him out and just ended the David and Solomon line. But because of David's faithfulness sometimes to God, like we just said, David had Uriah, the, the husband of Bathsheba, killed. And essentially, I don't know. I, mean, I guess it's a, it's a tough thing to hear if you grew up with Sunday school lessons about David, but there's certainly a question, if not a certainty, that David raped Bathsheba when he first found her on the roof and basically had his men bring her in, like, this is the king. So, like, if you're going to say, no, I'm not going to have sex with the king, she's probably going to be killed or punished in some way. So David did a lot of terrible things, and God still used him. And you can jump to the New Testament where I believe it's in John 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And so he's talking to her and, you know, they're kind of going back and forth of like water and like living water that'll last forever. And the woman doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. And she says, you know, like, I'll go and get my husband. And uh, Jesus is like, well, yeah, the one you have now is not your husband. And you've had five before. And so she was guilty in the eyes of the Lord of, of adultery and sexual sin but instead of jesus like standing up and saying like well i'm going to be all wrath and all holy towards you right now and i'm just gonna wipe you out and i'm not going to extend grace and mercy and love to you jesus doesn't say anything to criticize her and say like well you're not worthy of hearing me one because you're a samaritan which at the time samaritans were looked down on by jews and two because you're living in sexual sin jesus has compassion he tells her that he is the Messiah, and he witnesses to her. And from what we can gather from the Bible, she probably became a believer. And then she went and told her whole village, and they came out, and some of them believed. And then the same thing with the woman who was drug out into the town in the midst of adultery. So she was probably standing there naked and ashamed in town. Jesus, when they were all going to stone her, Jesus saved her life by saying, you know, you who without sin can throw the first stone and had compassion on her. And you see all through the Bible where God is just and God is holy and God can't abide sin and let sin go unpunished, but God has the love and the compassion to withhold his punishment because of his mercy and grace and withhold his punishment for a time. And I mean, really, if you're a Christian or just the fact that you're alive, even if you're not a Christian, is proof that a holy God has withheld his wrath because he had within his power and his ability and his right to the first time that you sinned, however you sinned, first time you mouthed off to your parents, he could have just sent a lightning bolt down and killed you right then if he wanted to. And he would have been justified in it because he's the creator of the whole universe. Like, basically, you know, like, He's a creator, so he makes the rules. And you can see that in a video game. You can see that in a TV series. You can see that in, like, a fantasy book. Like, if I created Lord of the Rings, like, I get to write the rules for, like, how does magic work and who can use it? And, like, are there just humans or are there elves and dwarves? And, like, you create that whole world. You create whether there's gravity or not and all these different things. So that's in a book, but God is the creator and the author 
of our world and our universe. So as the creator, he has the authority and the right to create whatever he wants to. So he would be justified, since he's the one making the rules, to wipe us out when we made our first mistake. But the fact that he didn't do that, he lets us still be alive to breathe right now. If you're listening to this podcast, you're breathing. Listen to this podcast alive. So God has had mercy on you to give you the opportunity to hear this, to give you the opportunity to wake up this morning, to enjoy life. And if you're not a believer, he's had enough mercy on you and extended enough grace for you to have another day to hear of his goodness and his love and mercy and turn to him and turn away from your sin. So I don't know you know, that there's much of an argument from a real biblical perspective that you could take this verse and this verse and this verse and say, well, God hates people. God is all wrath. God isn't love. Or even that, like I said, God was mean and sinful, or not sinful, but mean and wrathful in the Old Testament. And then he discovered love when Jesus came. So there's... There's no, that's not the point of this podcast, so I got off on a tangent. No, I don't think it was a tangent at all. I mean, man, that falls right into your next lines on this, uh, on this uh, outline here too. And, and even, you know, what it makes me think about the folks, I think that have that view of what you're talking about is, you know, God is, like you said, the Old Testament's one way, New Testament's another way. And, and that's certainly been distorted even in our current society where folks like to forget that God is holds us accountable for sin and they want to just say at the end of your life God's going to just show mercy to everyone which that would be awesome like if he did I mean mm-hmm. I you know when when we think about the reality of hell and that it is a you know the Bible is clear it's a real place devoid of the presence of the Lord where people burn and torment forever mm-hmm. and even if you take a very liberal view not a literal view of of that being that you're, you know, some folks I've heard say, well, it's not really burning, you know, it's a, it's it's the fire of, uh, that's a, a figurative term for God's judgment burning away, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know your mm-hmm. your sin and and like, but but then again, Jesus is pretty clear about that. It seems like it's an actual mm-hmm. feeling of physical fire where you're not gonna. Be relented of that, and and so a very horrible picture painted of a of a real reality that will occur for folks that choose to reject Christ, and and versus heaven where we're in the presence of God and everything's amazing, you know. And so when we when we look at at that, like some folks would say, hey, okay, you know, the Old Testament says this, New Testament says this. We're just going to believe what Jesus says, and and it's that that God is mm-hmm. love and that God is mercy and grace, which He is. But the Old Testament says the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. And that was something this summer that was really cool. We did a, a book, and I'll give our pastor a shout out, DJ, uh, who uh, DJ Horton is called. You could probably find this on his like personal ministry page. It's called Living Worthy Ministries, and he developed a, a devotion book essentially. Mm-hmm that takes you through every book of the Bible over about 13 weeks. And we would, we would do passages from the Bible, and those passages were very Christocentric. Mm-hmm. And it would kind of show, you know, Jesus or foretelling of him, or it would display God's mercy and love mm-hmm. a- along with how does, how does that tie into God's dealing with sin 
and and that was that was the whole the whole uh, devotion book, you know. So you got to see how the Old Testament pointed to Christ. You got mm-hmm. to see God's justice, mercy, wrath, love, grace, mercy, all tied in together in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So really a cool thing. I think that folks that again that have those views mm-hmm. that we've talked about earlier, they just don't know the Bible, man. Mm-hmm. They've read a couple parts yeah. of it, and they and let's let's mm-hmm. you know the the Bible's obviously says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, you know? And mm-hmm. so if we don't, I remember before I was a Christian, I'll read the Bible and I'll be like, man, what is this saying? Like mm-hmm. I, I was, I might as well have been reading, you know, instructions for how to put together a stereo in mm-hmm. Japanese, which I don't read. Mm-hmm. And it was that way when I was reading the Bible before I gave my life to Christ. You know, mm-hmm. once we give our life to Christ, he gives us his Holy spirit to help discern his word and understand his will. And prior to that, if you're reading the Bible just from an academic standpoint or you're trying to find, you know, something like, man, and you hadn't asked the Lord to reveal those things to you and to reveal mm-hmm. his truth to you, man, you, you, you're not going to know. You're going to come away with an incorrect view of that. And so, but I think that what you said was right in line with where we were going with this. And then the next example, though, you, you give the story of, of Jonah mm-hmm. and God demonstrating his love and mercy uh, through that. So why don't you explain that and how mm-hmm. this ties in? Yeah, I mean, like you said, that next point, the next reason why we think you know, we can have confidence that our, our children and those who are mentally disabled are in heaven is that, you know, when you're faced with any difficult issue, any faith issue or question that you have that doesn't have a direct answer in Scripture, a lot of things do have answers in Scriptures, but, like, there's nothing in the Bible that says, like, is it sinful to play video games or not play video games? Or is it sinful to, like, go to Starbucks or should you go to a local place? You know, like, we're both sitting here with Starbucks cups on, <laughs> on the desk. Sorry about that. So, you weren't yeah, open. Yeah. So, like, there, when you have a question that doesn't have an answer in the Bible that's spelled out, like, do this, don't do that, then we have to go to the answer that's the most consistent with God's character and how he is described in the Bible. So... Just simply like providing grace and mercy to bring unborn, stillborn, young people and mentally disabled people into heaven and relationship with God eternally is consistent with his character for all the reasons that we just discussed. All of redemptive history, which is the Old Testament included and the New Testament, shows that God is one of love, mercy and grace and he shows that whenever he can. So God had mercy on Israel even when they rebelled at every turn. Like we we talked about that. We I think I've walked through the the whole broad strokes of the redemptive history before, where you know God brings people. You know He uses people in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who you see like Abraham repeatedly. I think twice he goes into a new area and has his wife say like, "Oh, I'm not his wife. I'm his his uh, sister," so that some man doesn't kill Abraham and take Sarah as his wife but twice some man does take Sarah because they're like nope she's not my wife she's my sister of course you can do what you want and maybe like one time it says that God kept who was it an Egyptian from sinning against uh, sinning by having sex with her but there's like kind of some insinuation that the second time the man did have sex with her and so like Abraham twice didn't trust God and that maybe caused his wife to be involved in sin, yet still he's the one who God chose to be the father of his people, the father of the Israelites. Same thing with Isaac and Jacob. And then you go further into 
Egypt and the time in exile that the Israelites spent, and then God brings them out and brings them through, you know, the plagues that He brought against Egypt and all the miracles He performed out, trying to give them the promised land. They rebel against Him like days, days after they see the Red Sea split, the Egyptians coming through after they already went through on dry, dry ground, and the whole sea goes over and kills the Egyptians. Days after that, they're like, "This God guy hates us." We need we need meat. We're we're not we're tired of this bread that shows up miraculously overnight. We need some meat. We don't trust God. They get meat. They oh we don't trust God. We're gonna make our own gods because Moses went up on a mountain and we haven't seen him in a little while, so he must be dead. And they just <coughs> constantly rebel against him, and still he continues to show mercy and grace in the fact that like we talked about earlier when when they're going into the promised land. God could have punished all of them for not going when he told them to, but instead he preserved a remnant for himself to continue to use that family line to bless the world in bringing Jesus into the world. And then again, going forward, like we've already said, he chose to use David in mighty ways and again to make David part of the, the lineage that led to Christ. Even though David was a murderer and the fact that he had Uriah killed so he could have his wife, uh, David was a, a fighting man from his youth, I think is said at some point. And then, like you said a minute ago, the story of Jonah is a great demonstration of God's desire to show love and mercy against his enemies and against those who rebel against him and his prophets. Jonah, the story of Jonah, if you're not familiar with it, Jonah's a prophet. He's told to go to the Assyrian city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria and it talks about how it's such a huge city I think it says it takes three days to walk across the city and like it's a pretty big city I think humans can walk like two miles an hour so two miles an hour for 12 hours is 24 miles and if it takes three days that's like 70 miles to get across it's, it's a pretty big city maybe, maybe that's not literal maybe it is but it's a huge city that was exceedingly wicked God said he was going to bring wrath and destroy the whole city if they didn't repent. So he said he was going to send Jonah to give them one last chance to repent of their wickedness and turn to God. Well, Jonah's a prophet, and I guess we think of prophets as like all these great guys who just do the right thing all the time and follow God. Hmm. But Jonah didn't. He, like a normal human being, he let his, or any other human being who's not a prophet, he let his racism or his nationalism like his hate towards the Assyrian people who have been persecuting his people keep him from going and obeying God so rather than going towards Nineveh he went the other direction and got on a boat to say alright sorry God I'm not doing that so if you have ever heard the story of Jonah and the whale God brought a huge storm up that was going to capsize that boat and kill Jonah and all the men on the boat the men found out that Jonah where Jonah told them he was the reason that God was bringing that storm and just to throw him overboard and the storm would stop. They did. And God caused a great fish to come up to swallow Jonah. And inside the fish, Jonah repented from his anger and his rebellion against God and said, okay, well, if you'll let me out of here, I will go and do what you asked me to do. So that's a great end to the story. Jonah goes in, he preaches to Nineveh, and the people actually do repent and turn from their sin, turn to God so much so that God chooses not to destroy the city, but relents from his wrath and shows mercy against them. 
And again, the great into the great ending to the story. Jonah did his job. All the people became believers and and Lord or God fearers. But then we see Jonah go outside the city because he's like, God, what the heck, man? Like this is the reason I didn't want to go and witness these people because I hate them. They've been punishing and they've been pillaging and trying to you know injure Israel at every turn. And you showed like this is a re I think a semi-direct quote a paraphrase it's like this is why i didn't want to go to them because i knew that you're a a loving god and a forgiving god and that you wouldn't punish them and that you would let them repent and like that's kind of hilarious to think of a prophet being mad at god for being forgiving and being patient and showing mercy but in that moment god would have been justified in destroying jonah because jonah rebelled against him and then was angry with him for showing love. But instead, God raised up a, a fig tree to give him some shade and give him some grace there. And then when the tree died, Jonah's mad again. And God still shows mercy towards Jonah and not wiping him out. So if God will show mercy and love to people as sinful <clears throat> as the Ninevites who you know, lived in every sort of wickedness, as people who are as wayward and rebellious as the Israelites have been over their whole redemptive history, it's consistent with his character to believe that he would allow young people or disabled people who are not able to intentionally choose right or wrong to come into heaven even though they haven't made the conscious choice to come and follow Christ and submit to his leading because they're, again, too young to make that decision and comprehend the decision or they're too handicapped to be able to make that decision and understand it. So really just in conclusion for this whole series, we have solid and biblical reasons to believe that God does call the unborn, the stillborn, the young and the disabled people to him when they die. And we explained several reasons there, but the main reason, like we said, we finished up is that it's consistent with God's character. He's our hope and our comfort and our refuge. So we must trust that whatever decision God's made regarding the eternal fates of our children, that the God we serve and have a relationship with is good and he is love. His ways are right and just and perfect, even if we don't understand them all the time. So if we fear that we'll never see our children again, we should be filled with joy because of the certainty that we can have that God's already made the right choice in regard to their eternal fate And he's already made the right choice in regard to our eternal fate. Even if you're not a believer now, you know, God knows if you're going to be a believer in the future. And this may be a hard thing to say, but God knows if you're not going to be a believer in the future. So um, he's already made the right choice in regard to your eternal fate. And God's always been good and loving. We demonstrated that from what happened in the Old Testament, what happened in the New Testament, and what's happening today and the fact that he's allowing you to live and breathe and enjoy his creation and have more opportunity to come to him. <clears throat> so that's really where we wanted to end this is if you're not a believer, you should see this. I, we hope and we pray that you have heard this and you're interested. Maybe you saw God in a new light that like, hey, I thought he was this mean guy in the Old Testament. Then he got... God got religion in the New Testament and he's nice and he's loving and now you know it doesn't make sense to me that if God changes from the Old Testament to the New why would I care about him but hopefully we have shown you at least piqued your interest that God is consistent throughout the whole Bible 
and you'd be interested to go and read and maybe the Lord used this to open your heart to him and we just pray that you would stop right now and that you would just open your heart and you would ask God to speak to you and you know, just show you to have a, a personal encounter with you and to draw you into him and just give you the the ability and the knowledge of him so that you can choose him and, and trust him with your life and the main reason to do that is because God has convinced you that he is right and he is worth obeying and loving and serving with your whole life but if you do that you also can have certainty that you'll see your child again in heaven and if if that is a good enough reason for you to come to the Lord then I think God will take all comers and if you're sincere in your desire to know more about God and who he is because you're interested in the idea that that you didn't know what was going to happen to your children but now you know they're in heaven I think God will honor that and will send the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and you know bring you to him so if you're you're interested in that if you want to know anything more about what it means to believe in God if you want to know more about his character who he is and, and what he's calling you to be you can read the Bible probably is the easiest uh, low maintenance uh, way to you don't have to reach out to us you can read the Bible you can continue listening to this podcast we, we try to proclaim the gospel as many times as we can or we're certainly we're here to help you grow closer to the Lord so if you want to reach out to us in a in a Facebook message in, a, in an Instagram message uh, Twitter if you want to direct message us if you if you want to contact us in some way we would certainly be willing to meet with you to to uh, interact with you via those apps and to help you understand what it means to come close to the lord and and to choose him to choose to obey him with your life so um gabe if if you have anything else to add there go ahead yeah, thank not, you man you close and, this out. yeah and in closing i will say this this is hebrews 11 1 and based on what we've discussed these last two Episodes. I hope this is an encouragement for you. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So we want you to have faith that your young one is with the Lord. Mm. You can be sure of that. You can be certain of that based on what Scripture teaches us. And if you repent of your sin, give your life to Christ, let Him be your King, then you too will be forgiven of those sins. You too will then be able to enter the rest of heaven when you pass on from this life and you'll be with your child forever. So it's a win-win. Hmm. So we want to yeah. encourage you to do that. So I want to thank you all for joining us today and, and always make sure that you do follow Lost Boys of Found Fathers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And like Will said, certainly reach out to us if you have any questions or would like to connect on the messaging apps there as well. And you can certainly check out my books. Uh, I've got one that is called Every Little Thing, Six Small Steps to Perfect Peace. That's my new one. You can find that on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or on Apple Books. And then my first book is called Thy Will Be Done, Trusting God in the Midst of Suffering, Pain, or Loss. That is available on Amazon. Thank you all again for joining us today. Let's not be lost. Let's be found in Him.